Good morning. Welcome to VCBC, and thank you for worshiping with us on Easter Sunday. So Easter is usually a time when we come together and we get to hear some fluffy and really warm messages about how God has saved us and God has his crazy love coming, pursuing for us. But since today is April 1st, uh, I decided to do something different. That's actually not the title. The actual title of the sermon is ridiculously offensive. Okay. Now that the April Fool stuff is out of the way, and, and come on, like this is probably the only time in my life where I'll preach an Easter sermon on April Fool's Day, so I need to get it out of the way. So, I hope you didn't get offended in that little prank that I pulled there, but a lot of the times we do get offended by a lot of different things in life, and one that happened recently uh, was circulating through the internet, and maybe some of you knew about this. So, not too long ago, there was a incident where in in New Jersey, uh, some guy was just trying to find a parking spot, and as he was about to pull over to this parking spot, two ladies, well, two persons, let's put it that way, let's not stereotype anything, two persons decide to stand on the parking spot to save it for their friends or family. And so there was a huge standoff between the driver and these two ladies there. And, and the driver kept telling these guys, like, you can't do that. Like, you can't just physically stand on the spot and reserve it. Like, he got there first and he was about to park there. But the lady's like, no, 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 go, go away, go find another spot. We, we reserve this. And so, as any normal human being, even just looking at that, you, you would get a little offended. And especially the fact that they turned out to be Chinese. So Chinese get offended. They're like, that's not how we do things. Like, don't stereotype us. Like, this is just them. Like, that's not us. And so, I start looking more into this idea of being offended, the, the psychology behind why human beings get offended the way they do. And it turns out it's something a little Freudian. So it has to do with our ego. It actually has to do with our ego. And a lot of times we get offended because when someone violates some sort of social norm, it somehow affects the well-being of the society. So if someone don't follow the rules, that means people would think, oh, it's totally okay, I can get away with it. Then, then more people will start doing it. And, and you feel like, then I, I, it's unfair that I'm being taken advantage of, even if it doesn't affect me. Because if I were to next time try to park, and someone else feels like, oh, someone else could just go and, stand on the parking spot and reserve it, then there's nothing I can do, right? And so a lot of times we try to rationalize this and think, I'm angry and offended for the greater good of society. But at the end, a lot of the times, it's actually because it affects my own self-interest. That I don't want the same thing to happen to me and feel that the other person would say, well, everyone else is doing it, so why can't I do this to you? So why are we talking about this? Uh, sometimes we think that little things like these offend us, but on the greater whole, if you go out into the world outside the church, 
you know that a lot of the times people would say that the gospel is offensive. The gospel itself is offensive. And the reality is, it is. When you look at what the gospel means, it's quite an offensive thing. It tells you that there is only one truth, one way to get to this reality of heaven and eternal life. No other way can get you there. Every other way is the wrong way. And at the same time, to accept this way, we have to admit and confess that we as ourselves are flawed and we are imperfect. We can't do this by ourselves and we cannot attain perfection through our own abilities. And so we follow this, we accept all these values and tenets, and we live a life trying to be a uh, a loving and compassionate person. But in the same time, we get, when we get there, we get offended when other people, all they have to do is repent and they get to receive heaven. And there are saints who do that and we're okay. Normal people, fine, we're normal people too. But what about murderers? What about rapists? What about dictators? If they confess and proclaim that Jesus is Lord, they get to receive the same thing as we do. So how is that fair. It's so offensive. And so what would the Bible say then about this idea when we think that the gospel is offensive? And I think the, one of the best places to look at what Jesus has to say about this offensive gospel would be in this very famous story about the parable of the sons. And we probably heard the stories a lot of times for those who have been in the church for, for a while. And most of the time, the focus is on the younger son who happened to ran away from home and, and took inheritance and, and then came back and asked for forgiveness. But the story is actually just as focused on the other two characters, the father and especially the elder son. And being an older sibling myself, I know that the older brother usually get neglected. And I'm going to get my socks and then my sister might get a car and they'll be like, how's that fair? But even in the Bible, it seems like they always favor the younger siblings. Jacob, Isaac, Joseph would tell you, go deal with it. And so, the story goes that there was a place where a father had two sons, and the younger son decided one day to go to the father and said, I want to get my share of the estate. I want to get my share of the estate. In today's world, it might sound like, okay, well, he just wants his, his, uh, his part of the, of the inheritance. Okay, fine, like, if you want it, take it and go kind of deal. But in that culture, it's actually a big taboo to do. Back in the time in the Israel society, when you tell a father to split his inheritance, it's almost as if saying, I see you as dead. Give me my money now and we'll part ways. I don't want to have anything to do with you and i just take my money and I'll go. And we'll never see each other again kind of deal. 
And as a father, the law actually says that when a son disrespects you this way, you are allowed legally to beat the son up and kick him out of the house. Imagine like if your your kid walks up to you and be like, "Give me your house and 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 and, and go away. I want to take my share." The father can actually beat him up and be like, "Nice try." But in the story, we know that the father didn't do that. Instead, he complied with the request and gave the son the share of the inheritance. And as we look at that, how would the older brother feel? Be like, Dad, like he offended you. You, you, even if you at least don't beat him up, just kick him out of the house and disown him. How can you let your son disrespect you like that? And at the same time, I have been respecting you. I have been doing everything. Why don't I get any favor? But he gets to get away with these things. And so. As the story goes, we know that the, the son went off and he lavishly spent all the money and, and ends up being poor and penniless and he has to work as someone tending to pigs in the farm. And to that culture, dealing with pigs in the farm is almost as low as you can go in society. Those are the kind of jobs that nobody in the right mind would do, unless they're desperate. And even then, that younger son realized that he couldn't make much money doing that. All he could do is still maintain a living. But why is he so keen then on having to make the money back that he has lavishly spent away? And if you look further into this culture, you realize that in the Jewish laws, there is a particular ceremony that they do, and it's called the kasatsa. The kasatsa is a ceremony when a person from the tribe or clan decides to take the money from the clan and go out and spend it on Gentiles or on things that are immoral. And then when the, the village or clan or tribe finds out they would conduct this ceremony in front of this, this person who violated this custom. And what they would do is they would take a jar and it's going to be filled with parched nuts, which is like burnt nuts. And they would shatter the jar and throw the nuts on the ground. And they would proclaim that so and so is now cut off from the entire community. And to put it into today's terms, it's kind of like being excommunicated. So the tribe will no longer be associated with this person, and whatever happens to this person, they would not care whatsoever. I mean, that's quite nuts, right? Like a society that picked nuts to cut off somebody. But why nuts? And I tried to do some research to figure out why and it seems pretty obscure. And from what I have found, nuts is considered a very precious food in that time. And the fact that they have to go this far to, to, to waste all these nuts to go and cut off someone to, is to show the conviction that 
they really want to disassociate this person from the rest of the tribe. And so this younger brother would know, knowing all these customs, that if he were to come back to the father and the village, they would conduct this ceremony and he would be completely cut off and there's no way he can do to be back into part of this community. And unless he can earn all that money he spent back to this community, he has no other way out. And so, as a result, he came up with a plan. And according to the Bible, in verses, let's see, um, on verses 17 to, to 20, he, he said that, okay, I, I, I realize there's something I can, I can do to, to, be, to be reassociated and not get in trouble. I would go and beg my father for forgiveness. And hopefully, I would say some nice words and act very remorseful. And the father would take me back and I will work as one of his servants. And over time, I can earn back that money to earn my way back into the community. So, seems like a pretty clever plan. And so, once he had that plan devised, he went back to the, uh, to this village. And he hopes to go at a time in the morning when nobody's there, so he wouldn't be stopped by anyone and, and end up having to conduct the ceremony and secretly go to the father so that he can earn his way as a servant and into the community. But we know how that story goes afterwards when he went back to town. So, as he was back in the town, the father saw him from a long distance and he ran in his rope and put his arms around the younger son and kissed him. He would run to his younger son in his rope and go and kiss him. So why would this thing happen then? How There's actually a lot going on in, in, the, in this very short passage. The fact that he was able to see the sun early in the morning when in a normal time no one would be around at the edge of the town and to see him from long distance. It means that this father has been waiting the whole time. This father has been on the lookout for the son for him to come back to the town. And why would he have to go this far in order to greet his son? He is also a Jewish man. He knows that if his son were to come back to town, there is going to be a custom that's going to happen, and he is going to be cut off from the rest of the society. But he knows that if he, the one who is being disrespected, the one who is losing all the fortune, were to go and protect him, to go and say, he's under my care, no one else were to touch him, then the rest of the town would not say anything whatsoever. That he preemptively get to the sun before other people could, so that the sun would be in good hands. But there's even more to that. Afterwards, he decides to reinstate the sun as part of the family before he even paid out his debt. And then he would give him his robes and his shoes 
And not only that, he would he would celebrate and have this giant banquet before the entire community and invite everyone for this feast that's happening. And the reason why he's doing that is to tell the entire town that this son is no longer cut off from me. Even though he took my inheritance, I, I'm going to now consider him son. I never cut him off. And no matter what you guys think, he is my son. And now we're going to celebrate to make a scene to show that instead of a ceremony of judgment, it's actually a ceremony of celebration together with the rest of the town. And so as all this is happening, word gets spread really quickly, as you know, even in the church, when something happens, rumors spread and things get traveled. And the whole town knows about this, especially the older brother, who was just tending in the father's estates and farm, trying to do his work and diligently taking care of the family business. And so... The older brother heard about this and gets quite upset. And as I'm trying to process what's going through his mind, I realize that he he's he natural to feel angry that he, who has been working so hard for his dad, never complained a single time, doesn't get much. He tries to ask for stuff for his own celebration, for little things, and the dad even rejected him. But when this little brother, who was being disrespectful, came back and he should be punished for what he did, instead the father embraced him, reinstated him, and gave him a feast of a lifetime. And so, you think he he would just be a very normal person being angry about this injustice. There's actually more to it. According to the customs, when this younger brother decides to cut off from the family, that means this older brother would become the sole heir of the entire estate. Everything that was his dad eventually would become his. But the fact that the younger brother has come back, he's worried that he's going to get more inheritance than what he was given when he left the town. That when the dad dies, he still gets a share of the debt's wealth, which means that the brother, the older brother, will be getting less than what he already was about to have. And in the same time, he, while the younger brother has left home to do all these things, he has been working diligently, which means that chances are the family wealth grew, and he put all his hard-earned work to expand the family business. But the younger brother didn't even do anything, but he's still going to celebrate the wealth that he put his own hard-earned work on. And so, there's a lot of ego that's being at work, that he is actually looking out for his own well-being, rather than the well-being of the father and the younger brother. And it really shows on verse 29 when he complained to the, to, the, to the dad about this whole situation. He even accuses his brother of squandering the property with prostitutes. And that's a huge 
taboo and sin at that time. Not only is he using the money on outsiders, he was using it to hire prostitutes. And, and there's nothing being claimed. It's almost like he's just trying to make up things in order to legitimize the, the, the falsehood and sins of his younger brother, just so his dad would change his mind to, to re-invite the, the younger brother back into the family. And in the same time, you know that in the story, the, 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 uh, the older brother refused to celebrate with the rest of the family when this feast is happening. And this, to the Jewish custom, is equally a big insult to the father. When the father were to hold this giant celebration, to actively not participate, is almost trying to defy the authority of the man of the household and to say that, I don't have to listen to you and I know what I'm doing. I know best what's going on. And so as a dad, once again, he had all the right to go and kick this older brother's butt and be like, why are you doing this to disrespect me? I can equally kick you out of the house if I want to. But we know that the father didn't do that either. Instead, the father reassured the son that all he has will be the sons eventually. You have all this to you. Why are you so bitter when it's a good time of celebration that your brother has come home to be part of the family again? And so when we look at this parable, a lot of times we focus on the younger brother. Or the parable before that, we focus a lot on the coin that was lost. Or even before that, we focus a lot on the sheep that went away from the rest of the flock. But when Jesus was telling the story, the focus is actually not on these things. The focus was not on the lost brothers, but rather it was on the one who is doing the seeking. A lot of times we look at these injustices of the world, look at these things that we get offended about, and we focus on the bad things. But Jesus was saying that focus on the one who is doing every effort to make things right, making every effort to reconcile with those who have gone lost or astray or far away. In the story, it was the father who was pursuing the son. The younger son didn't even get a chance to walk up to the father and say he was sorry. The father did it first to reinstate this relationship with him. It wasn't the older brother that was trying to run away from the dad. It was the dad who went for the older brother to reassure him that he is also loved. And so... A lot of times we focus too much on the idea of repentance. But more importantly, Jesus is trying to tell us that God cares more about reconciliation before repentance. Reconciliation comes before repentance. And as Jews were to understand in that culture, uh, repentance is not a one-time event. 
is a process that takes time before someone completely repents from wherever he was at before. And equally, God focused more on rebuilding this relationship. Whether someone truly repents or not, he will will deal with that over time. But first of all, he wants to first set up to reconcile with the rest of the world first. And so reconciliation becomes the number one priority of God in the get-go, before judgment, before our repentance, before the need to follow any laws and regulations. And so as you look at this idea of the gospel, it's so radical that it is offensive. The gospel is so radical that it is offensive. And when something is radical, it is affecting the fundamental nature of something. And it's advocating based on thorough or complete political or social change. When Jesus' gospel were to give in to us, it's something fundamentally different to what the Jews or even Gentiles understood at the time, that this love is so great that they don't have to earn their way back into this relationship with God, but whether God is the one actively seeking you for this relationship. And in the same time, Jesus' gospel is offensive because of how inclusive he is. No matter how far, how deep, how remote someone is away from God, that he and the Father is actively open in this warm embrace to welcome them into the community. And at the same time, the gospel of Jesus is offensive because of how exclusive he is. That there is only one God out there who would unconditionally love his people to the point where he would sacrifice himself for the sake of reconciliation. It's so ridiculous that it's radical. And it's so radical that it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous that a, a king of kings, a god of all, would decide to go down to this world as a human person that goes through all the suffering and trials of humanity and even being mocked and abandoned for the sake to reconcile and love with people, people in this world. And it's radically ridiculous that this God actually has to die in order to mend the wounds of sin of us that the son who has done no sin has to go through all that pains of sin just so we are reconnected with him. And so to close off, I want to read something from this writer, Trevin Wax, and I think he summarized this whole idea pretty well. The good news is that Jesus wants to change all of us and change us all. In grace, he opens the clenched fists of religious hypocrites 
and he narrows the vision of the open-minded sinner until he is the only one in view. How? By destroying self-righteousness through his death and resurrection. You see, the church is self-righteous when it condemns the inclusive call to sinners. And the, and the world is self-righteous when it condemns the exclusive call to repentance. But the gospel gives us a Jesus who explodes self-righteousness in all its forms when he gives his body to the battered and bruised and hung on a tree. The gospel is ridiculously offensive because Jesus triumphs over death for all humanity, no matter how remote we are from God, just so we can receive this pursuing Father's warm embrace. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for being that God that actively pursues us. No matter how far we have gone away from you, how far we have tried to take away what is yours, you would say, it's okay. We will be reconnected if you're willing to receive this lesson. And so, Lord, as we continue to reflect, continue to contemplate on your willingness to reconcile with us, may we be open ears to the rest of the worship today. We thank you, and in Christ's name we pray. Amen.